0: As you read through the Bible, you're confronted with all kinds of people who, having had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, have had their lives completely transformed. Now, we're going to look at three examples in this little mini-series. And the main point that I hope to show you is this. If your life has not in some way have the kind of transformation that we see in these examples, then you probably have to begin to question whether you've really had a true encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ at all. Now, of course, your circumstances will be very different to those of the people who we meet in the Bible. And the degree to which your life may have changed might not seem to be quite so drastic as theirs perhaps but the general principles still hold true today and can you at least see that there are signs in your own life that these things are true of you because of the great change that knowing Christ has brought to bear upon you And, of course, in thinking about these things, you might automatically be thinking about people in the New Testament, but, of course, it isn't just in the New Testament where we find people having an encounter with Christ, you know. The Son of God was very active in the Old Testament, too. Not with the same degree of clarity, perhaps. Not that we can see him as clearly there as we do in the New Testament, We believe that Jesus is, as John describes him in the opening chapter of his gospel, Jesus is the eternal word. It is this Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, who has declared to the world the God who no man has ever seen. That's verse 18 of John chapter 1. So when you read a passage such as Genesis chapter 18... And you find there someone appearing before Abraham who is called the Lord. When you read Genesis chapter 32 and you read of an event that happened in the life of Jacob and afterwards he says, I have seen the face of God in the man I've just been with. Quite simply, this is because this is Christ's doing in the Old Testament. Declaring God to men. This was Christ appearing in the form of a man in Old Testament times, but before he was fully made flesh, as happened in his conception in Mary. And when Christ appeared like that in Old Testament times, lives were transformed. He's the eternal word. At work throughout the whole of the scripture. But of course it's in the New Testament where we see him most clearly. It's in the New Testament where we see him most vividly. It's in the New Testament where we see him most obviously. Where he takes on human flesh. And where we find these clear unmistakable encounters with the man who is God making God known the invisible God made visible through the Lord Jesus Christ now you might not be able to see him that clearly in the Old Testament perhaps when you've read the Old Testament before but you cannot miss him in the New you may not have recognised perhaps that Christ in the Old Testament was transforming people's lives. But you cannot miss it in the new. And across these three sermons we're going to look then at three examples of people or groups of people. Whose lives were thoroughly and utterly transformed upon meeting Christ. And this morning we're going to consider his disciples. And by disciples I mean those initial twelve And from amongst those initial 12, some, where we're actually told how it was that Jesus came to call them. The others we don't know. But the Bible provides us with clear accounts of what happened when five of his 12 disciples were first called by Jesus. We can only guess what happened to the others. I suspect... It was probably fairly similar, but the details aren't recorded for us. And so Mark's gospel record, we can find three events in chapters 1 and 2 when Jesus called some of those men who were to become part of the twelve. Simon, Andrew, James and John in verses 16 to 20 of chapter 1. And Levi, who is also Matthew, In verse 14 of chapter 2. I want to speak to you under three headings. The first is this. Challenged to decide. Challenged to decide. Did you notice that on each occasion. The men involved were at their place of work. Isn't that interesting? The fishermen were in their boats. And the tax collector was in his office. Now, maybe maybe you'd have thought it might have made more sense if Jesus had waited for a time that was more convenient for these men. Wait till the evening, perhaps, when they'd down tools for the day. Wait for the weekend, if they had weekends like we do. I don't think they probably did. But at a time when it was more convenient, sit down with them. Introduce himself to them. Explain to them what it was that he was about. Make his pitch Maybe he's more likely to get a result if he does that. But he comes to them when they're at their busiest. He comes to them as they're engaged in earning their livelihood. He comes to them when their minds are preoccupied with other things. He comes to them while their hands are laboring with something that's a legitimate thing to do, work. And Jesus interrupts them. He stops them in their tracks and he challenges them and he challenges them to drop everything right there and walk away. That's an interesting strategy, probably not the way we'd have done it. And The question is, have you responded to Christ the way these men did? Has the whole focus of your life been turned around the way theirs was? Has this huge shift which we see in them happened to you? They were challenged to decide, and decide they did. Heeding the call of Christ, becoming a Christian, Demands that when you're at your busiest, when the demands upon you are the greatest, when there are jobs to be done, when there's a living to be earned, when there's a business to run, when there's money to be made, when there are a hundred and one things calling upon your time and energy, there is a far greater priority that has gripped your heart. And it's gripped your mind, and you have decided for Jesus and that has outplaced everything have you made that kind of decision for christ cuz that was that's what he calls men and women to do every sinner that is spoken to through the word by christ is challenged to decide Have you decided what you will do with Jesus? And in these men, we see their decision played out in two significant ways. The first is this point two committed to leave, committed to leave. The fishermen step out of their boats and leave them behind. The taxman gets up from his desk, steps away from his money, and leaves them behind. It's remarkable. Now, we can't be certain about Matthew in his future relation with his tax office, but we know for certain that the fishermen don't abandon their boats completely. They still need to earn a living, but those boats, from now on, take second place to Christ that's the big difference and there are huge chunks of time when they're prepared to leave them and they're committed to it they don't check their fishing schedules to see when they can be with Jesus they check out Christ's schedule first to find out when they will next be available to fish That's the difference that is made in these men's lives. Do you see the way their priorities have flipped right around? Once they've decided to follow Christ. This is the transformation that's taken hold of these men. Now when we look at actually what happened on that particular day. Practically speaking. Some of you don't have that kind of flexibility. In your employment situation. I get that. I worked for 40 hours a week for 20 years in a bank and if someone had come up to me in the middle of the working day and walked up to the counter and said, "Oi, follow me." I'm sorry, I'd about to stay behind my desk. I understand that. But in your mind, in your heart, what has first place? What has the priority? Might it be that there are other things, there's something else in your life that's preventing you from engaging as you should in Christian living, engaging as you should in the church. And the reason is there's something that you're just not prepared to leave in the way these men example that to us. There's something you're just not ready to let go of. and You continue to hold it. And because of that, your life isn't showing the kind of transformation that we see in these men. I suspect for lots of Christians, what we mainly want to focus upon is in Christ, there is forgiveness of sins and there is the certain hope of everlasting life. And that's, that's, that's fantastic news, isn't it? The problem is... If you're not careful, being a Christian is all about and only ever about what I get from Christ. And that's all it ever is. And we conveniently choose to forget that Jesus very plainly stated what he expects to get from you if you really are one of his disciples. We often don't like to think about that side of the equation, if you want to put it that way. Not what you must do to become a disciple, But how you ought to live once you are one. But the gospel is all about grace and a free gift, you say. You're wrong. You're wrong. Grace and a free gift is a vital part of the gospel. And that is the message which is to be preached to sinners. But that is not All of the gospel in terms of the effect that the gospel has on the life of a Christian. It isn't. There's more to it than that. Prove it you say. Okay. Let's listen to Christ. In Luke chapter 14. This is the Savior speaking. If anyone comes to me. And does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. That's Luke 14, 26. Now, a word of explanation. Jesus is using a figure of speech here. He's not suggesting that you actually have to start hating your family members. What he is saying, that if you've really had a life-transforming encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ then he is up here in your life. And everything else compared to that is way down here. And there is a huge gap in devotion and in priority and in importance in your life. So he's using a figure of speech in verse 26 to explain that if you're going to follow me, I have to become everything to you. Verse 27, he continues, whoever does not carry their cross, because it it can be costly and painful to be a follower of Christ. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? If you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build. They weren't able to finish. Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000 men? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other's still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, this is Jesus speaking. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. This is part of gospel living, this is part of Christian living. And Jesus does not say, Be prepared to give it up. He says, have given everything you have. In your head, in your heart, your ambitions, your plans for the future, you give it all up in the sense that none of those things are the great priority in your life anymore. None of those things are the things that really drive you None of those things are what dictate and determine the big decisions that you take. Because all of those things have been given to Christ. Was not that what Paul was talking about when he says, I've counted all things as loss for the sake of knowing Christ and having him. Now that's not to say that you can't have the things that are your ambition. You might still achieve all those plans and goals. But following Christ and everything that's necessary to follow him faithfully and biblically and to the best of your ability, that is what is now at the top of the list. That is what is now at the top of the pile. You have in your mind and in your heart stepped out of the boat and left it behind. That's what happens in the lives of those who are transformed like the disciples were transformed. Those boats are not the big issue anymore. They have been for most of their lives probably. Not now. This man is. That's the change. And just a little bit of extra explanation on this issue. I'm not suggesting for one minute that Jesus is teaching and that the example of the disciples is demonstrating that every Christian has to just abandon their chosen career. I'm not saying that for a minute. I don't think that's what's being taught in the Bible. Although for some of you, that may be a path along which the Lord leads you so that you can serve him in other ways. That might be for some of you. The disciples were still fishermen. After the resurrection, they weren't fishing. They didn't know what to do. They were at a loose end. What do we do now? They weren't fishing. They were still fishermen. But they weren't fishermen first. They were disciples first. And this leaving that you have to do Well, that perhaps comes to us in in slightly different ways today in the world in which we live in the 21st century. Let me give you an example. You've all have heard of that company, Carillion, that went bust a few months ago. They've left the Royal Hospital high and dry, haven't they, for the time being? And some of you will have heard perhaps the recent reports that have come out where the former directors of that company have been accused of being too busy, and the phrase made about them by an MP, too busy stuffing their mouths with gold to worry about what was actually happening to the company. Now, you don't need me to tell you, from the things that you've read in the news, that at the very top levels of business and commerce, and even nowadays in places like premiership football, there is a, there's a whole other world up there that you and I are not a part of and for the most part you should be glad that you're not a part of it it's a whole other world up there where salaries have an extra four zeros on the end compared to yours and mine a world that involves astronomical sums of money and where even if you fail you receive a massive a massive pension pot equivalent to a king's ransom you shouldn't be shocked or surprised by that you know that's how sinful hearts behave The love of money is the root of many kinds of evil. Don't be shocked or surprised by those things when sinners behave like the sinners they are. As a Christian, if you are career-minded, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to get ahead in a career, nothing wrong with that at all, but you need to recognize that the higher you rise, the closer you will get to that world that exists up there and the higher you rise the more you'll start to get the whiff of it suppose you discovered that one of those stuffing their mouths with gold directors claimed to be a Christian and was an elder of an evangelical church what would you think? What thoughts would start going through your mind about that man? Because they were all men, as it turns out. What would you think? A Christian. Behaving like that. A Christian. With those kinds of attitudes of heart. With that kind of attitude towards wealth and riches and money. A Christian who would behave like that. To line his own pocket and be derelict in his duties towards the company. A, A Christian immersed in that kind of atmosphere, should not he have left that behind long ago? And so for Christians, you see, there is sometimes another type of leaving behind a decision that has to be made because of the Christian that you are and because of the kind of world that you're being enticed into I really don't know if it's possible for a Christian to work in that atmosphere and to maintain a good conscience and to be not wrapped up in all of its culture I don't know If such a believer can be, there will be many things in that world which will have to be shut out of their mind and shut out of their heart in order that they can maintain a good conscience before the Lord. And they will be a very square peg in a very round hole. They would appear to be an oddity and a rarity in that world. If some believers are called to that for God's glory, then wonderful. And how they would need our prayers to maintain their integrity as a believer in that kind of atmosphere. See, whatever your position in life is, if you have been transformed by the gospel, you must give up everything if you will be Christ's disciple. Now what it means to this one To give up everything. Might not necessarily be the same. And look the same to this one. Because our lives are very different. Our temperaments are very different. God gives grace in different measure. To each of us. But have you given up everything. In order that you can follow Christ. Whatever you know. That that has to mean for you. Because first. First. First, first comes Christ. And finally, you see, the thing about these men, they were called to follow. They were called to follow. And Christ called them. And they followed him fishes of men we'll concentrate on the fishermen because we have more concrete facts to go on than we do with Matthew the tax collector we can't be absolutely certain precisely what happened to him in terms of his his job as a tax collector but we know precisely what happened in terms of the fishermen the fishermen were still fishers of fish but that has become a secondary issue to them they still have to devote time and energy to fishing for fish you won't get very far in a leaky boat, and you won't catch many fish with a broken net. And leaky boats and broken nets take time to fix. And as we know from some of the encounters they had, sometimes you could go on the lake and you could work for a very long time and not catch anything. So they still gave quite a lot of time to catching fish. But Christ is first. And the first priority on these men is that they're following him and that they're learning what it means to become fishers of men. Christ has become their priority and everything else is being placed under Christ because they're following him. In the transformed lives of these fishermen, those things which are necessary to follow Christ are given their rightful place and everything else is fitted around that. And I want to assure you from the example of the fisherman that when you choose to follow Christ and when you choose to put Christ first you will discover that there is still the time that you need to give your attention to all of these other responsibilities and duties that you have. If you're a man you'll, and you're married and you've got a family you still have a duty and a responsibility to care for them and, pro- and provide for them and the disciples showed that they could because they were still fishes of fish. They just weren't fishes of fish first. And Christ is not a tyrant. He's not a tyrannical slave driver who relishes in grinding you into the dirt. He himself taught you that your heavenly father knows all the things that you're in need of. If you seek first the kingdom of God, all of these other things will be added to you. But he has to come first. And that's the great example that we see in these men. As Christ confronts them and he challenges them to decide and they make their decision. And he requires them to leave. And those things that he requires them to leave, they leave. And as the Lord deals with you, the things that he requires you to leave, you must leave. And then they follow him. And following Christ comes first. Following Christ determines your priorities in life. Following Christ defines you in whatever sphere of life He places you, be it high, be it low. Following Christ is what defines you. Following Christ shapes all your conduct and all your character. Following Christ is reflected in your attitude, in your diligence, in your integrity. Following Christ. Is actually something that you just can't help because his love and grace has so transformed you and your love for him so grows every day. You just can't help but follow him. Following Christ is what marks you out in your home, in your classroom, in your place of work. Following Christ is what makes you a loving, active, encouraging, serving, reliable member of a local church because you by his grace and power have been transformed. Let's sing a hymn and then we'll gather around the Lord's table.